listening to episode three of Who Made My Clothes? An official fashion revolution podcast with me, Tamsin Blanchard. In this series, we've learned about some of the women who make our clothes, and we've heard about their fight for justice. In the previous episodes, we heard about the importance of labour rights and education as a means of enabling change. But change has to come from all angles. From workers themselves, from governments around the world, from brands and from consumers. In this episode, we'll be exploring the options for change and we'll equip you with some information and ideas to get involved with the fashion revolution. First up, let's hear about the role of brands in all of this. How do brands impact the conditions and wages of the garment workers who produce their clothes? Here's Jenny Holcroft to explain. Multinational companies buy clothes from garment factories has a big impact on the wages and working conditions suffered by garment workers. That is why we see such low wages, such long working hours, such precarious working conditions. I was at presentation talking about the garment sector in, in Bangladesh. That's Eric Noggle of the Garment Worker Diaries Project. And people were talking about how the business model is set up in such a way that brands in reality don't have the leverage to like push changes in working conditions. You know, anytime there's a way to squeeze out another margin, you know, they're going to do that. I think that's a, a bit of a false narrative. There are a lot of really good brands and people buy their things and they have, you know, billion plus dollars in turnover every single year. Um, so I think we need to make sure that these these multi-billion dollar brands can't look back and say we can't afford it. It's going to threaten our business model. It's, we have to find another way, right? Like you can't exploit people all the time. You have to be able to find another way to, to offer your product justly. And there are unfortunately still too many brands who really don't care about the conditions that their workers are working in. What they care about is a cheaper price. The answer to that, of course, is to make change at industry level. Okay. And what would that look like? So we create a higher level playing field for everybody and no company can undercut those conditions by uh, finding a factory that is prepared to pay its workers less and work them harder in order to make a larger profit for itself. Right, that means that if all the brands set some baseline conditions, together they can ensure that no factory is underpaying their workers or forcing them to work in dangerous conditions. No brand can increase their profit margins by using cheap factories that exploit their workers. If every brand agrees to this, they don't have to worry about the competition. It needs to be negotiated, discussed, sometimes argued about to make sure that the solutions that we're coming up with are in the interests of the companies, they're in the interests of the factories and they're in the interests of the workers. Because if that is not met, then it simply will not work. We need to design a system that works for everybody. And if this worked and garment workers were paid fairly, what difference could this make? 
When garments workers start getting paid a living wage, it's going to make a huge difference to their lives. The wages that they are paid at the moment by any measure are far below what anyone would consider to be a wage that is enough to support themselves and their families. And in many cases, people are working massively excessive overtime hours just to increase their salaries so that they can feed themselves and send their kids to school and buy clothes and all of the basic expectations that people have. If we look at countries where the garment sector is very big, who is it employing? It is employing large numbers of women, women who are very much responsible for many people in their families, be it children, be it um, siblings, be it aging parents. It is so often women that have that the bear the brunt of family responsibilities. So putting more money into their pockets effectively means putting more money into the communities where they live. Many studies have shown that when women earn more money, they spend more on their children, on education, on clothing. So we know that an extra dollar put into the pockets of women workers is an extra dollar that is there to lift the standards of living across communities. And that is a very strong development objective. This sounds very appealing, but as a consumer, you might be thinking, how would fair wages for garment workers affect the price of my clothes? And that's a fair question. Not all of us can afford expensive clothes, but here's the thing. One of the things that's often said about consumer buying habits is that people are just not prepared to pay more money for clothes that are made into better conditions. Now, there is obviously some evidence that that is not the case. uh, But at the end of the day, that is not the problem. Um, Firstly, many of these large fashion retailers are making certainly large enough profits that they could afford to pay workers higher wages without necessarily having a big impact on the price that consumers pay. But the other thing to take into consideration is whether there is a relationship between retail price and garment worker wages. If you look at the breakdown of how the value of a given garment, say a T-shirt, a very, very, very small percentage of the of the final retail price is accounted for by the wages that go to garment workers. Most of the cost is taken up by the price of the materials and also all of the logistics of getting the, the clothes from the factory into the shop, including taxes and transportation and uh, and the wages of other people in the in the retail chain. So If you're starting from the point that the percentage of garment worker wages in the retail price of a a T-shirt is very low, then to make a very big difference to um, the wages of a worker, you really don't need to increase the price of that garment very much. But the other thing to bear in mind is that Many of the retailers that are criticised the most for the low wages are the ones that are at the bottom end of the market selling the cheapest clothes. It's instinctive to think, well, if I'm paying this little for a T-shirt, then that must mean that people are not being paid enough the other end. Well, that is partially true. But the other thing is that if you look at the more expensive T-shirts, that doesn't mean to say that those workers are being paid anymore. It might retail for a higher price, but it's being made under exactly the same factory conditions 
as the cheaper clothes. There may be a difference in the quality of the fabric. Maybe that is more expensive. Maybe there's simply just a larger markup to be paying for the, the reputation of the brand that's selling it. But for the garment sector workers, it really isn't making, they are not paid anymore. Stitching a t-shirt is stitching a t-shirt, whether it's one that retails for $5 or for $50. Buying more expensive clothes is not the silver bullet answer then. So what can consumers do to affect change? I think there's a lot that consumers can do to raise awareness of these issues. Um, I like I rather call consumers people. Everybody wears clothes, so everybody is in effect a consumer of the fashion industry. It's very hard to say that if people decide to shop at one shop or another shop, that that's because of the um, company's policies in relation to the workers in the factories. It could be they just don't like the clothes in one shop. It's very difficult for the companies to feel the impact of that. But what they do feel the impact of is public opinion. So it's so important for consumers of fashion to send a strong message to the fashion industry more broadly that this has to change. We don't want to be buying clothes that we know come from sweatshop conditions. We want to be confident that people who are making these clothes are paid a salary that they can live on and feed their families and have decent working conditions. I think first off, there's, there's just some very, very simple things folks can do, which is speak up when you shop. Let store managers know your concerns. That's Dr. Mark Anna again the director of the Centre for Global Workers' Rights at Penn State. Mark recommends you ask a few questions next time you go into your favourite store. What sort of systems does that company have in place to ensure that there are good uh, labour working conditions? Um, what are their policies? How, how transparent are they? And if that manager you might not know the answer, they're going to have to find out, which means they're going to have to call headquarters. And then headquarters is going to know that consumers are, are asking these questions and that that is, is as important. But secondly, perhaps more importantly, I would encourage people to get involved with local groups, national groups, international groups. And there's little things you could do. It doesn't mean you have to go and you know become a full-time member of these groups, but you can find them on the internet. You can sign up for their listserv. They'll give you notices when there's a campaign. They'd ask you then to send in a, a, an email message to a, a brand or a retailer. And this this is so important. I emphasize this because the question comes up, you know, should I shop less? The retailer just might think, you know, a certain style isn't selling and they need to change styles, right? They don't know why I'm not shopping there as frequently. Campaigns are most effective when they're coordinated, you know, sending the message saying, I like your brand. I've been buying this for a very, very long time, but I would like to see you sign up for the Accord and I'm going to withhold, you know, my purchase of your products until such time that you do that. The international community especially the consumers, they can bring a lot of change uh, within the supply chain. They can bring a lot of change in our workers' life. That's Kalpona Actor again. Former garment worker, Kalpona is now the executive director of the Bangladesh Centre for Worker Solidarity. So every time, you know, the consumers hear about the workers dying in hundreds in the factories or workers are being retaliated because of their unionizing effort, Please be angry, but your anger should not be end up with a boycott because boycott is not the answer, it's not the solution. As 80% of Bangladesh's export economy is fashion, Kalpona argues that a boycott would kill the Bangladeshi economy and many workers would lose their jobs. 
Like Mark, she recommends asking questions instead. Ask the more question to the store manager that, hey, I really wanted to buy this cloth, but I wanted to know more about this worker. Do they have union rights? Are they working in a safe building? The store manager will inform their supervisors. If you're constantly asking or other consumers also asking the same question, they will come to you with an answer next time you shop in that store. And this is how a consumer really can make an effort to bring a better livelihood for our workers. And of course, there's the growing power of social media. Here's Carrie Summers, Global Operations Director and co-founder of Fashion Revolution, to explain. Well, firstly, the one thing we're asking everybody to do around the world is to show their label, post a photograph on social media, tag the brand and ask the question, who made my clothes? By doing this, we're applying pressure in the form of a perfectly reasonable question, which brands and retailers really should be able to answer. We're asking them to publicly acknowledge the people who make our clothes. And we believe that the growing number of citizens asking who made my clothes will encourage greater transparency and help improve the lives of the people working in the fashion supply chain. This year marked the fourth annual Fashion Revolution Week in April. So how successful has it been? During Fashion Revolution Week this year, we saw 113,000 fashion lovers around the world ask brands who made my clothes, with 533 million impressions of the hashtag on social media. After the first Fashion Revolution Day, an industry insider told me that for every one person who had asked a brand who made my clothes, the brands were taking that as representing 10,000 people who felt the same but couldn't be bothered to do anything about it. So this statistic for me still shows the incredible power that we have as consumers. We can all be fashion revolutionaries. What an astonishing achievement. Collectively, we really do have the power to put pressure on the industry to change their ways. And what else can we be doing? Here's Debbie Coulter from Ethical Trading Initiative. There's no silver bullet solution and we can't just simply say if you go on this demonstration or sign this petition, then you're helping. Um, But you know, I think one of the things they can do is check whether the brands and where they buy their garments are members of organisations like Ethical Trading Initiative or others. Um, and, you know, that's not simply um, signing a form and paying a fee. You know, brands who sign up to ETI, for example, make a huge commitment to um, improve conditions in their global supply chains and continuously improve them over time. And they're held to account. They are scrutinised. Their activities are scrutinised by both trade unions and um, NGOs. Brands are are more um, aware of consumer awareness and you know ethical consciousness developing and um, they're they're sensitive to that so um, yeah sure write to the CEO ask them how serious they are about ethical trade and you know what have they you know got in their CSR strategies that is focused specifically on labour rights within global supply chains and that's all helpful. Um, The campaigns that you mentioned again are helpful just in, in terms of keeping up the pressure but letting workers organizations that are involved in in these works know that there is support out there um but finally i would just say that you know 
from the clothes we wear to the paving stones we walk on or you put in your garden to the food that we eat, consumers can't be expected to sit at a computer researching the provenance of every single issue. Um, And, you know, we wouldn't expect them to do that. So I certainly put trust and faith and confidence that the retailers and the brands where I buy my clothes from are doing the right thing. And if they fail to do the right thing, it's they that will ultimately pay the price because they'll lose my business and they'll lose other people's businesses. So um, it's less about, you know, putting the, the, the onus of responsibility on the consumer um, and putting it on, on the brands and, and government and, um, you know, the, the collaborative efforts that I've been talking about. I believe that when people buy new clothing, they have a right to know that the money they're spending is not supporting exploitation, human rights abuses and environmental destruction. That's Kerry Summers again. She believes that transparency is essential to a fashion revolution. We believe that the first step is greater transparency and this will entail everybody in the supply chain, consumers, brands, factory owners, governments and all other stakeholders each taking action. Transparency doesn't necessarily lead you to better practice, but it leads you somewhere. That's Ursula de Castro, Creative Director of Fashion Revolution. I asked her about the role of transparency in the fashion revolution too. It gives you information and it promotes a culture of scrutiny, vigilance and accountability at the end. So, of course, it's the first step. Of course, we need to see this industry before we can begin to understand it. And in the case of the fashion industry, because it is so convoluted and so complex, the the visualization that is provided by transparency is vitally important. I believe that the consumer of tomorrow will be asking those questions before buying clothes and therefore transparency will be the only tool to give them access to the right information to make the right purchasing choices. Has any progress been made already in increasing transparency? Carrie Summers again. Whilst we're seeing brands beginning to publish more about their social and environmental efforts, which is certainly welcome and necessary, there's still much crucial information about the practices of the fashion industry that remains concealed, particularly when it comes to brands' tangible impact on the lives of their workers and the environment. Transparency has a powerful role to play in affecting change. But what about laws? How can government regulations play a part in the fashion revolution? Fashion Revolution believes that laws and regulations are key to transforming the fashion industry. We've been working really closely with policymakers in the United Kingdom, the European Union and beyond. There's a movement you know, within the European Union to do binding regulations on the garment industry, to say that if you want us to import your clothes so that people buy them, you have to meet conditions X, Y and Z. That's Eric Noggle again. Now that that movement's pretty young. Um, you know, we've we presented data in, in support of them moving forward on that. Um, but that's something that you know, in the next decade or two, if it came to fruition, could have a lot of really positive impacts. That's exciting. So let's hear about what it takes to make this EU law official. To make an EU law, all governments are, are involved in it. 
That's Linda McCavan, a member of the European Parliament from the UK. She's chair of the European Parliament's International Development Committee and believes in the power of politics and legislation to push forward change. She's optimistic it can happen in the fashion industry, as it's happened in other industries over the years. We've already got laws in place on conflict minerals, and it's about making sure that the minerals which we have in our mobile phones and gold come from responsible sources and they're not used to fuel the money isn't used to fuel conflicts. We have laws now which say that companies who sell these products need to know where it's coming from. They've got to understand their supply chain and make sure there's there's no fueling of conflict down that supply chain. So what we're looking at is saying, well, why can't we have something similar for textiles? We know that one of the excuses of companies was, oh, it's all subcontracted. We know we've got to get the companies to know more than that. They've got to know their supply chain. When the fashion supply chain is so complicated, how easy is it for brands to get to the bottom of who is making their clothes? We, we know it's possible because the OECD has developed guidelines on, on the garment supply chain, suggesting how companies could improve their knowledge of their supply chains. Now, at the moment, there's this discussion in the, across the European countries about making that a voluntary code, how we can improve things. But we're, we're keener as MEPs on it being a binding legal framework, and we're pushing for that at the moment. But the process of passing these laws can be slow and difficult, which leads me to ask, where's the resistance coming from? It's governments who block often attempts to make these laws binding. So we have to lobby, we have to lobby our own government, we have to fight. If we want this legislation to happen, we're going to have to really push hard for it. I mean, we can begin, some people are saying, let's start with some voluntary initiatives. The OECD guidelines came out in February. The European Commission had had said last year it wanted to launch a new initiative to clean up the garment supply chain to make sure that we don't find out that at the bottom of the you know at the bottom of the supply chain are workers in working in appalling conditions making clothes and then when the, when the initiative was actually published it was weaker than some of us had hoped and i suspect it was weaker because the european commission had pressure pressure from governments saying oh no let's not have any more what they would call red tape pressure from companies saying, oh, no, we don't want to have these sort of constraints on us. And so the parliament said to the commission, it's good what you're doing, but we need to go further. We need to go back to what we originally thought would be the big idea, which is some kind of new legally binding initiative. So what's happened so far is the MEPs have voted by a big majority in favour of a binding legislation. But um, the European Commission's nervous because the governments of Europe are less keen. They're the ones saying, oh, I'm not sure we want any more any any binding laws. Right, a fear of red tape is holding things back, but it seems progress is being made. We're funding a lot of projects in many developing countries to support women workers in the supply chain, to support the activities of trade unions and, and independent workers' voices, to to get manufacturers to improve working conditions. I'm optimistic because we know that trade can improve people's lives, that when more countries are involved in manufacturing. They can actually give people jobs, create wealth. And that, but we need to make sure that wealth goes trickles down. It's not good enough for it to stay in the hands of the, of the big companies, the shareholders and the other people making money. So what's already in place to help make sure that happens? Debbie Coulter again. 
There's a huge emphasis now on the business and human rights agenda globally. Um, and we see we see in examples in the UK with the Modern Slavery Act. We've seen examples in, in the US with the Ca- uh, California Transparency Act. Um, in France, in the in the European Union, um, you know, there's conversations about making um, some of the responsibility on brands legally enforceable. Um, so I, th- I think that's something that we'll see more of in the in the coming years. It's looking promising that legal frameworks will soon be changing to the benefit of garment workers around the world. But as we've heard in this series, the problem in the industry is huge. And if you're feeling overwhelmed, here's a few words of wisdom from Fashion Revolution's creative director, Ursula de Castro. So with Fashion Revolution, we always say, be curious, find out, do something. Don't be somehow stunted by the enormity of the problem but become a part of the solution. Genuinely I believe that every morning when you wake up and you look at your wardrobe that's your chance to do something. So how can people get more involved? We asked Sarah from Fashion Revolution to explain. One of the most powerful things that you can do is make clear to brands that it's important to you that workers in their supply chain have trade union representation and real bargaining power. Right now, you can go to workerdiaries.org and send an email straight to the inbox of your favorite fashion brands and ask them how they're making sure that the workers making your clothes can both join a union and raise their concerns. All you need to do is choose which brand you want to contact, fill in your name and email address, and press send to help make a positive difference. Fashion Revolution will be measuring brands' progress and telling the world about it in the 2018 Fashion Transparency Index. So companies, consumers, governments and workers themselves all have a role to play in the fashion revolution. Progress is being made at an international level, with legally binding policies slowly being pushed through. There are global campaigns fighting for garment workers' rights, and on-the-ground initiatives helping the voices of garment workers be heard. There are no silver bullet solutions, but by getting involved with campaigns like Fashion Revolution and making your own voice heard on social media, via email, or at your local clothes store, you can be part of the change. subscribe to the Fashion Revolution podcast channel on Acast, iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and please give this podcast a good rating and review it if you can because it'll help others find us. Follow this podcast series on social media using hashtag worker diaries or find us at fash underscore rev on Twitter and Instagram or at facebook.com forward slash fashionrevolution.org This podcast was produced by Claire Crofton and Boom Shakalaka Productions in collaboration with Fashion Revolution and Microfinance Opportunities with support from CNA Foundation. This podcast was recorded at The Pod at White City Place in London. 
Our original theme music was produced by Katie Morley. We would like to thank all our contributors. Calpona Actor, Mark Anna, Ursula de Castro, Debbie Coulter, Sarah Ditty, Jenny Holdcroft, Linda McAvan, Eric Noggle, Carrie Summers and Guy Stewart. Thanks also to Connor Gallagher, a researcher from Microfinance Opportunities, and Heather Knight, who designs everything for Fashion Revolution. <laughs>